Amen. Amen. Glory. Good, good, good. You glad to be here this morning? Amen. I'm glad you're here this morning. I mean, I'd have been here by myself, but I like it when it's with you guys. Good stuff. Hey, before we get into the message this morning, real quick, um, just want to throw this out here because we've got a couple more weeks to sign up. As of right now, we have 107 people registered for the Revelation Seminar. Um, so keep coming, keep inviting. Sign-up sheet is back there. You can take the postcard. You can invite somebody. All we ask is that if you invite somebody to come as a guest with you, that you make sure either they register or that you register them because we need a, an exact headcount for our uh, catered lunch on that day. And is it possible that we could have 150 that Sunday? I think that's very possible. We'll see. Also, don't forget that the Sunday before that, Saturday, the 16th, so it would be Sunday the 10th, I'll be doing a, a message on why I believe we are living in the last days, seven signs of the times. And I think it'll be not only a great message for all of you at the Oasis, but again, a great opportunity to invite somebody to come with you to church that Sunday. Then the following Sunday, the 17th, the Sunday after that seminar, I'm going to be doing a message on how to be a follower of Jesus Christ in these last days. So, a week there, between the 10th and the 17th of September, three sort of special things going on. I hope that you here, as part of our church family, will take uh, advantage of those opportunities and that you might see to bring somebody with you. As I shared a couple Wednesday nights uh, ago, uh, there is power in personal invitation. There is something very powerful about that. Um, and so I hope that you will realize that personal invitation is very powerful. It is the number one way why people come to something at a local church was because they were personally invited by somebody that they knew. And of course, that can happen at any time. Philippians chapter 1 this morning as we continue our series in the book of Philippians on the only way to live and die. Key verse being Philippians 1.21 where Paul says, For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. True life, real life, abundant life, the only kind of life, really. The highest quality of life is when we center ourselves around Jesus Christ. And of course, we've sung about that already. Now, last week, we looked at the first 11 verses, and we saw that one of the only ways to live and die is to be a participant in the kingdom of God, to not be a spectator sitting back, but to dive in and participate and live in partnership, not only with our Lord Jesus Christ, but in partnership with our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Today, I'd like to take that a step further because Paul does here. He says, not only as followers of Jesus Christ should we be living in partnership with Jesus and with our fellow believers, but we should always be willing to live under the leadership of Jesus Christ, that he truly should be our shepherd. And one of the things that Paul, you know, came in contact with and we come in contact with today is that there are many people who profess or confess the name of Jesus. 
They, they say, I'm a Christian. But are we truly then, as that Christian, living in partnership with Jesus every day? And are we truly living under his leadership? Are we allowing him to truly be the leader of our life, the shepherd of our life, the Lord of our life. And Paul is basically reminding the Philippians, this is the only way to really live life. Now, in this passage, we're going to look at this morning, beginning at verse 12 through verse 21 this morning, we're going to find seven clues from the life of Paul, of one who lived under the leadership of Jesus Christ. And all seven of these sort of clues to Paul living under the leadership of Christ could also be evident in our life as well as clues that we are living under the leadership of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's one of the reasons why Paul said, for me, living is Christ. That, that's a way of saying, for me, Life is all about Christ and living under his leadership. And if we doubt that, if you go up to verse 1, Paul says, From Paul and Timothy, by the way, there's partnership, right? He's not only being a partner with Jesus Christ, he's being a partner with other believers. Paul and Timothy were a team, they were a spiritual partnership. But then notice what he says, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am a devoted follower, Paul says, of Jesus Christ. And I am willingly living under his authority and his leadership. Wherever he tells me to go, that's where I'm going to go. Whatever he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I just sort of check in every morning, Paul says, and I get my orders from headquarters and from the king. And he tells me what to do. That's living under the leadership of Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want us to see, the first clue that one is living under the leadership of Christ is that one is wanting to help others live under that leadership too. And that really means helping others to live by faith. Because faith is really trust in the Lord's leadership. That's what faith is. Faith is having confidence in the Lord that he really knows what he's doing. So, and he knows better than I do. So instead of me leading my own life or allowing other people to lead me, I'm going to follow the leadership of my Lord Jesus. So notice verse 12. He says to them, I want you to know, I want you in Philippi to realize and recognize brothers and sisters that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. He wants them to know something. He wants them to grasp that everything's okay. See, when they heard, obviously they were so close to Paul. When they heard that Paul got thrown into prison, oh my goodness, all of a sudden they were like, what is God doing? Paul's the greatest preacher of the gospel and God allowed him to be thrown into prison. And, and what are we to make of that is, is somehow God being defeated by a force that's stronger than him. And Paul's like, Whoa, Philippians, I want you to know something. I want you to be able to live by faith, not by sight. Because as you look at my situation from a just a strictly human sight point of view, you would come to those conclusions. You would come to the conclusion that 
Either God is not alive, he's not paying attention, he's not on his throne, he's not in control, there's a force greater than him, or that even somehow for me, things have actually went bad for me. And why would God allow the greatest preacher of the gospel who ever lived to somehow be thrown into prison? Paul says, I want you to know something. You've got to learn to trust that God knows what he's doing. And I want you to know that. I want you in Philippi not to walk by sight, but to learn to walk by faith. See, when we live under the leadership of Jesus, we not only will be obviously living by faith, not by sight, but we'll, we'll be doing everything we can to encourage others and get them to come to that understanding. Stop looking at things the way they are and look below the surface by faith, by a sight that only faith can bring. Trust in the Lord. Even though things look like this right now, you've got to look deeper than that in each and every one of life's situations. And Paul says, I want you in Philippi to know that. I don't want you to keep, you know, fretting. I don't don't want you to lose confidence in the Lord and what he's doing. I don't want you to think that I'm sitting here pining away, feeling sorry for myself. As we saw last week, Paul was thankful and joyful and prayerful and mindful of others. He, He wasn't in that condition. He wants them to know that because he does not want them to lose faith in their God. You and I have great opportunities through our life, especially when situations that maybe aren't particularly good come into our life that we can encourage other believers. Don't lose heart. Don't, don't lose your faith here. God really knows what he's doing. And a lot of that is going to be caught by Christians seeing other Christians and even unbelievers seeing Christians not get to a point where they just throw up their hands when bad things come into our lives. And we really do say, you know what? Just wait. God knows what he's doing. So with that being in mind, it leads to that next clue. And that is when Paul uses the phrase, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out. The word turned there, or the phrase, or or two words, turned out, are key. Because again, Paul's saying, when you and I live under the leadership of Christ, We've got to get away from judging things or making determinations about things the way they are initially. We've got to trust that in God's hands, God can turn something. But we've got to give it time. And so often as Christians, when something initially comes into our life or somebody else's life, all of a sudden we make a judgment about something as if, Well, there it is, and that's all it's ever going to be, and that's the way it is now, so that means that's the way it's going to be forever. And Paul's like, no, no, no. When you and I live under the leadership of Jesus Christ, we always can trust that God can turn something. That what it looks like initially is not the way it's going to look like eventually. The way it's going to end. Because God's in it. Isn't that what Paul meant to the Romans in Romans 8, 28, a verse that we as Christians know a lot, but do we really believe it? That all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. 
And do we not understand that when the Bible says all things God can work together means you got to give God time to work it all out and to turn things? Paul said to the Philippians, he's saying, yeah, maybe when you heard that I was thrown into prison, you're like, oh my goodness, what's God doing? And poor Paul and all this. But he says, God has turned this. And then he goes on to tell them how God turned it. He said, you realize that all the officers in the prison, all the prison guards that are chained to me 24 hours a day, all they're hearing about is God. And some of them are coming to faith in Christ and some of them that were even Christians and some fellow prisoners, they're being strengthened by it. That's how God has turned this. And then he also says in verse 14, oh, and by the way, other brothers and sisters outside the prison, other Christians are hearing about the courage that, that, and, and the faith that I've had in this situation. And now they're becoming very bold and confident in the Lord. And now they dare to speak the word of God fearlessly. It's like he's lit a fire underneath them. And now all of a sudden they are all in with God that before This situation with Paul, they may have been more of a spectator than a participant. They may have lacked a commitment and devotion. But now Paul says, because they heard about me and what God is doing, he says, now they're willing to speak up. They're willing to be all in with God. Amazing. You and I, when we live under the leadership of Jesus Christ will not only be looking to help and encourage others to live under that leadership as well, to live by faith, to trust that God really knows what he's doing, but we will always look in each and every situation in life, whether it's in someone else's life or in our life, for God to turn. That what it looks like initially isn't maybe the way it's going to look eventually. And that's faith. Then you'll notice another key word here in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. Next key word, word advance. Another clue that Paul is living under the leadership of Jesus Christ. The word speaks about making progress. And any time that you and I live under the leadership of Christ, we will be making progress. In fact, Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Jesus Christ. You realize every time you and I follow Jesus Christ, Jesus is leading us in triumph. We are making progress. But here's something very important. In this word advance, it speaks about Cutting down obstacles by the Lord's power. In other words, it's reminding us that as you and I make progress, as we advance, as we spiritually grow, as we mature, as we increase, there's going to be opposition and obstacles. That's always going to be true. There's always going to be opposition and obstacles to a life of faith. In fact, If you and I are not experiencing opposition and obstacles in our life, then we probably aren't living much by faith. 
Because a life of faith will always have opposition and obstacles thrown against it. But the cool thing is, Paul says, is as someone under the leadership of Jesus Christ, we will always keep progressing and advancing and we will cut down all of this opposition and all of these obstacles by the Lord's power. This word was a word in Paul's day that was used a couple of different ways to give us a picture. One way was it was used by pioneers. And you, you and I maybe can get an idea of this if you go back into the history of our own country by the pioneers who came west. And that much of, of the land and stuff had to be cleared off or what they were going through had to be cut down, if you will, to get to their destination. And that's the way... This word was used. Another way this word was used was militarily. By armies that were advancing and seeking to take new ground and territory. And many times, where they needed to get to, there were obstacles in the way. And so they had to send out either engineers or other people out in front of the main body of the army in order to get rid of all the obstacles so that the main body of the army could go through without the obstacles being in front. You see, it's not that you and I aren't going to face opposition and obstacles in our life. If we're living and seeking to live under the leadership of Jesus Christ, there will always be obstacles. There will always be opposition. But God promises us that if we live under the leadership of Christ like Paul did, we can always be advancing because we can be cutting down those obstacles with the Lord's power. One biblical illustration. Think again of that old but great story of David and Goliath. Some of you right now, you have a giant in your life right in front of you. And the reason that giant is there is because you are seeking to live a life of faith under the leadership of Jesus. We got two choices and we come to that kind of a place in our life as Christians. We can do like a lot of the people did in David's day. I'm not going out and face that giant. Giant's too big. I don't have what it takes to cut that giant down. Or we can have the attitude of David. I know I can't cut that giant down, but I know that God is with me. And that God is for me. And that I can face that giant not in my strength alone, but in the strength of God. And God will supernaturally energize these stones out of my sling and I will cut that giant down. You need to know today and be encouraged that whatever giant is standing in your way, whatever opposition and obstacle, you can cut it down by the Lord's power and keep on advancing in your life. That's how we know we're living under the leadership of Jesus Christ. And then I want you to go to verse 15. Another clue. Some to be sure are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so out of love because they know that I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. A fourth clue that Paul is living under the leadership of Jesus Christ, the words placed here. Paul says, 
I'm not really under the control of the Romans, even though I'm in one of their prisons. I, I'm not just left to chance and, and my life is just coincidence or just, you know. No, he says, God supernaturally put me on a special assignment. That's literally what the words mean. So go back to the old movie, The Blues Brothers. I'm on a mission from God. That, that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying, do you realize when you and I live under the leadership of Jesus Christ, that every day, all day, every week, all month, all year, we can be living our lives on special assignments or missions from God. We can look at our life that way all the time because whatever God is placing us, wherever he is placing us, wherever he is saying go, and whether it's for an hour, for a day, for a week, for a month or a year or more, we can have the confidence that under his leadership, I'm here because God placed me here. I'm not here by accident. I'm not here by chance. I'm not here because of the whim and something of other human beings. I'm here because God placed me here. I'm on special assignment. And that's the way you and I can look at our life again every day. If God is leading you somewhere that day, then consider that a mission from God that God has given to you. Now, another cool thing about this, and this is really giving us the heart of, of this, is if you dive deeper into these words... It comes from a word that means to lie outstretched. Because that's the kind of heart, that's the kind of attitude, that's the kind of surrender and submission. One who is willing to live under the leadership of Christ and let God place us wherever he wants us to go. That's the kind of attitude it takes. It's basically of, I'm dying to self. I'm lying outstretched. I'm on my cross, God. I'm taking up my cross. I'm dead to self. God, place me where you want me to be. And that was Paul. Because personally, Paul would have never chosen prison, right? Any more than you and I would choose to go to prison. But Paul had this confidence. He said, I know that I'm not here by accident. I know I'm here because God placed me here. Maybe there was a prison guard that needed to hear the gospel. And the only way he would ever hear that is if I was here. Maybe there was a prisoner, a fellow prisoner who was a Christian, but was very discouraged. And when I, Paul, came into that prison, God allowed me to be a great encouragement to that fellow Christian prisoner who is in prison with me. See, we, we don't know, but that's why we've got to live under the leadership of Christ and lie outstretched. I couldn't help but think as I meditated on this principle about the Old Testament story of Abraham and Isaac, how God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to take your one and only son, the son of promise, and I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah. That's the place I want you to go. And I want you to sacrifice him there. Lie outstretched. Okay, God. I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing. And even if I kill my son, I trust in what you're doing and I believe in you so much that I know that you can raise him from the dead because I know he's the son of promise. 
He's the one eventually the line of the Messiah is going to come through. So I'll just trust you, God. You know what you're doing better than I do. That's what it takes. In order for us to live under the leadership of Christ and let him place us. Because again, many times where God wants to place us is not where we would choose to go. I think of some of you, just like my friends and family over the years, and even myself at times. Sometimes God chooses to place us in times and seasons of suffering. In hospitals, in hospital rooms. And there's so many Christians that when they don't live under the leadership of Christ, their first thought is, oh, woe is me. Why am I here? What have I done to make God mad at me? Instead of, God, I'm on special assignment. I'm on a mission from God here in this hospital. There's got to be doctors and nurses that you want me and my faith in you to touch. And maybe there's even fellow patients here that somehow, God, you can use me just like you did Paul in that prison to encourage them. God, thank you for placing me here. That was Paul. That's a clue that we live under the leadership of Christ. By the way, in this passage, I love this too, where he goes on to say, look, The former, verse 17, proclaimed Christ, though, from selfish ambition, not sincerely, because they think, they think they can cause trouble for me and my imprisonment. What is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed, and I'm rejoicing in that. Here's here's a point I want to make on the side, not another point about a clue to live under the leadership of Christ. Paul did not allow others to trouble him or distract him. Because he said, look, I get it. Not everybody who's preaching Christ like me is doing so from pure motives. In fact, some people out there, Paul knew, are doing what they're doing to try to get under Paul's skin and cause him trouble. And I love what Paul says. He says, they think they can cause me trouble, but they can't because I keep my eyes focused on the Lord and on what God has called me to. And I'm not going to get caught up in the trouble that these other people are doing. And can I say, in the day and age of this social media phenomenon that you and I live in, too many Christians are being troubled by what other people are doing instead of keeping their eyes on what God has called them to do. Paul said, I don't get caught up in what other people are doing or not doing. I know that that exists. But if I start thinking too much and getting focused about what they're doing and why they're doing it, then that takes my focus off of what God's called me to do. And you and I need to live more that way, especially in the day and age in which we live. I'll say one more thing and then move on for the sake of time. I'm really wrestling with doing a whole message sometime on the whole social media thing, but we'll see how that goes. God and I are still discussing it. A couple other points as we round this out this morning. He says at the end of verse 18, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and through the rich supply of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ.
couple other things there. Notice Paul believes in the power of prayer. And the Philippians he knows are praying for him. And he believes in the filling and power and enablement and supply of the Holy Spirit in his life. But here's what I want you to see. The last three clues that Paul is living under the leadership of Christ. And it won't take long to go through all three because they're all found in verse 20. My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or whether I die. Three other clues to Paul living under the leadership of Christ. One, his confident hope. Paul was always thinking ahead. He was always absorbed in what was to come until it was realized. He never got stuck in the past or even stuck in the present. It was always about what will be. Notice how often he uses the word will. Because living under the leadership of Christ is about will, not was. Too many Christians are, I was this and I was that. Paul says, I care more about what is coming and what I will be. Because Paul said, up to this point, I was a fearless, courageous, you know, preacher of the gospel. But if I don't keep living under the leadership of Christ now and living under the partnership of Christ now, I know I will not be that way in the future. And I care not just about what I was and where I am now. I really care about what I will be. And I don't want to ever get to the point where I'm ashamed, Paul says. Because remember, he told the Romans in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Confident hope. Are we stuck in the past? Or are we looking always absorbed by what's coming in the future and preparing now for what will be? See, that's living under the leadership of Christ. In fact, that's why we should study prophecy. Not just to fill our heads with facts about, you know, the future, but to live prepared and to be prepared for what is coming. What will be. Then you'll also notice he wanted to live his life with complete boldness, fearlessness, courage. That's when you know you and I are living under the leadership of Christ. When we are living confidently, boldly, fearlessly. I love Proverbs 28.1. The righteous, those who are aligned with God are as bold as a lion. That's where our boldness and courage and fearlessness comes from. It comes from living under the leadership of Christ. That's why that little shepherd boy David could go out and meet that giant Goliath and not be afraid. Why? Because he was living under the leadership of Christ. He knew that God was there with him and he was bold and he was courageous and he was fearless. The church is shrinking today and Christians are shrinking because we are failing to live under the leadership of Jesus Christ. We have lost our courage. We have lost our boldness. We have lost our fearlessness. We have become intimidated by the world. And Paul says, may it never be. May I never be intimidated by those that do not believe in my God. And then one more. He says, now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. 
for Paul, living under the leadership of Christ, it was all about magnifying Christ, increasing Christ. That's what the word exalted means. That as people saw his life, they would see Jesus more than anyone or anything else. Because that's what a life lived under the leadership of Christ is. It's not people seeing us. It's seeing Jesus in us and through us. And Paul says, if it means dying... For, for God to be magnified in my body, so be it. If it means continuing to live in this body and somehow God can use this old body to keep magnifying Jesus through it, so be it. But all Paul cared about was making sure that everyone and all around him always saw Jesus in him. These are the seven clues in this passage of Scripture this morning that the Apostle Paul was living under the leadership of Christ and he wanted his good friends in Philippi to live under that same leadership, for them to have the same confidence in the Lord that he had, to have that same trust that God really does know what he's doing. How about us? Do we really believe that today? Are we living under the leadership of Christ? I invite you today to take hold of the hand of your Savior today and let Him lead you. Let's stand and close in prayer. God, we thank You that You're not just our Savior, You're our shepherd. And You want to lead Your sheep. And God, maybe even here today, there are many, many who have attended here this morning that are running into obstacles and opposition. May they be encouraged today through your word and by the power of your spirit that they can cut down that opposition and those obstacles by your power. God, whatever stands in front of us, you always lead us in triumph in Jesus Christ. God, I believe today you want us to make a recommitment to you to be the leader of our life, the leader of our church. To lead us wherever you want. To place us, God, wherever you want. God, that right now, we're lying outstretched. We're saying, God, it's not about us. It's about you. It's about you being magnified and exalted in this place. And through our lives. And in our lives. Just like John the Baptist said, he must increase. But we must decrease. As we sing this last song this morning, I'm just going to invite you, whether it's in your heart or a commitment that you want to make in in getting out of your seat and coming forward to this altar here this morning, that we turn this auditorium into a, a sacred place on Sunday. That you do it. You take your Savior by the hand and say, Jesus, I want you to lead me this day, this week, this month this year. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.